My name is Reese Barnett, and welcome to episode four of Reese's Movie Night. It doesn't matter if it's day or night where you are, right now it's movie night. And tonight we've got ourselves not only a new movie to discuss, but yet another special guest to discuss it with us. Introducing my roommate, Zach Proctor, joining us on the podcast tonight. Zach, how are you doing? I'm doing fairly well. I'm excited to be here. I'm ready to talk shop about some movies. All right, cool. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Zach? Well, I'm excited to be here, uh, but I haven't always been that much of a movie buff. I wouldn't say I know quite a bit, uh, but I have recently been engaged with a love of cinema uh, that started my freshman year of college whenever I was with one of my sweet mates, and he was going down the top 100 movies of IMDb. They have a list that they curate and change from time to time, and he would go down the top 100 list, and he would watch them on a projector in his room, and I would room uh, probably about once or twice a week uh, maybe procrastinating from some homework <laughs> and I'd watch some of those top 100 movies and in that he kind of fostered in me a love of cinema uh, and due to that uh, I now have a bit more technical proficiency as regarding like what makes a film good or bad yeah. and I enjoy it a lot more now and I'm excited to talk about it with you yeah. uh, media lover yep so, uh, what movie did you bring for us tonight, Zach, to talk about? Uh, I brought Howl's Moving Castle. Oh, I absolutely love this movie. We actually sat down and watched it uh, not too long ago together, didn't we? Oh yeah, it's fantastic. It is. Uh, let me give a general block rundown of Howl's Moving Castle. So, it is directed by Hayao Miyazaki. Uh, it stars, in the English translate in the English dub of it, uh, Gene Simmons, Christian Bale, Laura Bacall, Blythe Danner, Emily Mortimer, Josh Hutcherson, and Billy Crystal. Its release date was the 17th of June, 2005, in the United States, and it has a runtime of one hour and 59 minutes. Zach, why don't you give us a, uh, general rundown of what the plot was? All right. So, there's... A young girl, uh, well, young woman, I should say more accurately, uh, named Sophie. And Sophie is, uh, works in her family's hat shop as a hat, hat smith? Hat? A ha a, a haberdasher. A hat maker. A hatress. A haberdasher, <laughs> I think, is the technical term. I'm surprised. Well, but she also makes hats for women. Oh, well, yeah, there's that. Well, uh, she makes hats. Uh, and she lives in a, a small sort of medieval town. Uh, and she looks out one day and sees a moving castle, Howl's Moving Castle, the title of the Yeah, film. the titular uh, moving go, castle. And we see it go past uh, her village. And she seems somewhat excited by it, but also a little fearful of it. For there's a, a little rumor, a myth that Howl, the sort of owner of this castle, eats the hearts of beautiful women. But she doesn't really think herself too beautiful, so she's not entirely too concerned. Uh, but her life will begin to change when she meets a mysterious man who uh, saves her from uh, the prying eyes of two uh, scalawags. And uh, he walks her home, but not only walks her home through the streets of her city, literally walks her through the air to her room. Very strange indeed. Uh, he's a magician, apparently, or a wizard, I guess would be the more accurate term. And in this world, wizards are a common sight, apparently. Yeah. 
Uh, they're like a sort of soldiers, but not quite also yeah. soldiers. They, they fill many roles. It's not compl- completely explained. But anyway, uh, she goes to sleep that night, somewhat excited by this new prospect of uh, an interesting young man she's met. Uh, and when she wakes up, uh, well, no, no, she doesn't wake up yet. She goes, when she, she goes back down to her hat shop, and she meets a, an older woman uh, who curses her with a curse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it makes her much older, makes her appear much older. Uh, and she becomes an old woman, a grandma. Yep, and she's uh, cursed to look that way basically all the time. And oh, yes. Through, through sort of a, a set of circumstances, she ends up getting into House Castle, and uh, shenanigans ensue for the uh, the rest of the film as she tries to, you know, find some way to break the curse, and Howell doesn't know that she's actually the girl that he met, and blah, 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 blah. So. Uh, it's a mixture of intrigue, action, Romance. What else could you want? And magic on top of that. There is definitely magic. So, Zach, uh, what what would you say is the? Uh, how do you feel the general feel of this film is? I'd say the general feel of this film. It's a strange mixture uh, of sort of wonder and yet also tragedy. Mm-hmm. It, it it modulates between those two feelings. I'd say. Yeah. Uh, it, it definitely has a, uh, a very bizarre sort of feel to the movie, as uh, most of the time, you're kind of left scratching your head going, what's going on? Does, it, do, does anything that's happening on the screen have, like, a, a purpose, really? And, and for some of them, some of the scenes, they are just sort of there just for set dressing. But a lot of the scenes, even though they may be confusing, they still have that that sort of plot relevance, even... even in its confusion. So. One thing I particularly enjoy about the film, and at least uh, in sort of the plot devices that they that they use, is that the film really drops us in media res, mm-hmm. just like middle of the action, uh, without any sort of explanation at all of the world that's going on. It just sort of uh, states everything about the world very matter-of-factly, where it's like it, there's no explanation needed. It just exists yeah. uh, like that. It makes, the, it makes the world feel a lot more lived in, to be honest. Like, it feels like less that it's trying to explain itself and more of just being, this is the world, accept it. Yes. Uh, and it definitely adds to that feeling that you were describing earlier of uh, sort of the arcane nature of the plot, where it, it does not make sense uh, for most of the film until the very end. Yeah. And everything begins to come into place. It's it's only whenever the the final puzzle pieces are actually added that you finally begin to understand everything in the first place. And I will admit, as good as this movie is, it is definitely not perfect. It, it does kind of fall short of that uh, trying to explain everything at the very end sort of problem. That it, it sort of rushes some plot points that kind of feel like they should have been explored a little bit more. But at the same time, it it, it does such a fantastic job of wrapping up just every main plot line even some of the side plots and stuff wrap up phenomenally and so it it, it's really easy to just push aside the one or two little threads that kind of got a little swept under the rug 
If anything, I, I'd say the only thing that suffers from this movie, to agree with you, uh, is the runtime. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it could use a longer runtime. And the thing is, is that it's already two hours long. It really doesn't feel two hours long is the problem. Whenever you're sitting there watching this movie, it every second has your attention. It, it's it's kind of hard to watch this movie and, and not pay attention to it. And it's through that that you sort of time travel, you know? You, 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 you're it, sitting there and then all of a sudden two hours have gone by. It's very odd uh, because, uh, not to spoil too much about the film, but there's a major war going on in, yeah. the, in, the, in the world. Uh, and you experience the plot through the main character of Sophie, uh, through these sort of wistful vignettes, this sort of slice of life feel of her uh, living and trying to uh, solve this uh, curse that she's been given whilst also fostering these new relationships that she's finding along the way. Yeah, and so while that's all going on, every once in a while you get this reminder that while everything from Sophie's point of view is really nice and the worst thing she has going on for her right now is this curse, you start to see that in reality everything is just sort of through rose-tinted glasses, you know? It's, it's very difficult to start to ignore the war, and it, it, it kind of becomes more integral to the plot as time goes on. It, it definitely, throughout the plot, there's several uh, very clear and very uh, key uh, social commentary, which, which I shan't divulge uh, in, for risk of uh, spoiling the film. Or uh, but at it, least talking for another hour or so. <laughs> oh, we yeah, could probably absolutely. sit here for, for an eternity and talk about that. Uh, but it, for eagle-eyed viewers, I'd recommend uh, watching this film and uh, thinking of uh, social events that occur throughout the movie and how they can compare to sort of contemporary uh, social events as well. All right, so uh, let's talk about the editing and the pacing of the film. How would you say that the pacing of the film is? The pacing of the film is fairly good for the majority of the film. Is it like fast? Is it slow? Like, how would you describe it? It, it takes its time. It takes its time mm -hmm. until the very end, like you said. Uh, at the very end, it feels a bit, just a tiny bit rushed. Yeah. As they try to wrap up everything within a decent runtime. Yeah. Uh, but for most of the film, it takes its time. They they don't really. Uh, it's it's odd to feel because at certain moments it feels like oh we're just doing this we're doing that it's very slice of life. But then at certain times, a lot of plot happens all at once. Yeah, uh, it, it definitely has. I feel like the flow of it fits really well with the way that the movie is trying to portray the events because. You're right, it does have these interspersal parts of plot, but I like the fact that it kind of, it has almost sort of a, a wave sort of motion to it. Like you have like this nice, even sort of nice thing going on and then plot, 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 and then it goes back down to being just sort of, you know, B-roll footage sort of thing, then plot, 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 and then it, it keeps that wave sort of continuously going on. You can't see it because this is a podcast, but I'm, I'm moving my hand up and down to indicate a wave motion. <laughs> yeah. um, it never comes the viewer with too much exposition or too much uh, sort of uh, B-roll footage at all. It, it's, it's, it, it, it meets a nice balance of sort of like, like, a, like a river. Mm -hmm. uh, certain parts are a bit more placid, 
whereas others you get rapids and yeah. uh, as it goes along and i feel like it's a good enough balance that it, it doesn't leave the viewer too confused it, it does leave the viewer somewhat confused because the the plot itself is is confusing um but it, it it's it, it doesn't leave them like with whiplash or anything like that it, yeah. it's one of those it things where you you everything fits together organically it doesn't lose the plot uh, no pun intended <laughs> yeah um and the it, i feel like the editing also goes along with this not only just the 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 pacing through uh writing and through directing but i feel like the editing also lends itself really well to making sure that each of these scenes are ordered properly you know i i feel like it would be very difficult if this movie was edited in any other way to understand what's going on throughout the movie oh absolutely i i agree with that 100 percent, and it's a particular challenge to do that with uh animated films i yes. feel uh and it even though most of the time for animated films, uh, there's not a whole lot of editing, uh, usually in just like actually ordering things and getting things to, to look proper. Most of the time that is handled by either the design team or the writers or the people doing the, uh, the stills or things like that. Most of the time it's all planned out beforehand, but there is some parts of editing that it's really important. The, uh, the cutting room floor. Uh, is really important for a lot of things. If the plot was too overburdened with anything, it's really important that they either move or cut out certain parts of it. And I feel like they did a good enough job in doing so, really. It, it, it well, lends itself really well to the feel of the film, and it doesn't feel like there's any abrupt changes or anything like that throughout the film. It all feels really well placed together. Absolutely. I 100% I agree. So, uh... What was your favorite part about this movie, Zach? Well, uh, to be to be honest, I'd have to say, outside of the gorgeous animation and the beautiful story, we I, I say this a lot. I said it once, and I'll say it again. I adore the soundtrack to this oh film. Oh my god, the soundtrack is amazing. I love the soundtrack for that film. It, it the motif uh, i i've i've brought this up to you before but i'm gonna go ahead and say it for the podcast there is a motif that's howl's theme it's it's part of merry-go-round of life from the soundtrack and what's really interesting about it is that anytime that howl is on screen that motif plays in the soundtrack it's every single time that he is on screen in some way shape or form and it may not be at the same speed it may not be with the same instruments, but the same notes are there. And if you listen for it, you can hear it. And it's crazy. Yeah. Joe Hisaishi uh, does a lot of music for Studio Ghibli. And he, he just very clearly went all out for this oh, yeah. film. He has, it's, it's gorgeous. He has no chill whenever it comes to some of the uh, the movies that he, he does soundtracks for. Like uh, Spirited Away soundtrack also an absolute amazing soundtrack and an amazing movie that I'm not sure if I'll talk about it on the podcast, but I would highly recommend to anybody who is listening to uh, watch that movie as well as Howl's Moving Castle. Um, they they sort of fit together in the same sort of aesthetic that they have going on, and a lot of the a lot of the things we've said about Howl's Moving Castle pretty much goes for Spirited Away as well. Um, Absolutely. I'd say that my favorite part about the movie is probably the the character Howl himself. Uh, he's a really well 
well-written character as well as a, a well-portrayed character. He constantly has this sort of feeling of being really far away, being, like, unobtainable. Like, everything that he has going on is so out of this world that nobody can understand him. And then he also has those moments to where he is just a regular dude. Like, whenever uh, Sophie accidentally changes out his shampoo and his hair turns red. Like, that's one of my favorite parts. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the, I, the I, I agree. I, I think it's particularly compelling that we see everything from Sophie's point of view. Mm -hmm. uh, Hal comes off as this very mysterious character at times, and at other times as uh, sort of a, a hapless little uh, selfish schoolboy at <laughs> others. And uh, he's never, his intentions are never quite clear throughout the film because we don't see his point of view yeah. too often to, to, until towards the very end. Yeah, uh, whenever he and Sophie start interacting more and Sophie begins to learn more about him. And I think that's a really good way of revealing uh, the sort of inner motivations of a character through sort of uh, a third person perspective. Yeah. I think a very, very good narrative device. Mm -hmm. So uh, we talked about kind of our favorite parts. Uh, let's let's talk about the high points and the low points. What would you say is the excuse me? What would you say is the uh, the highest point of the movie like what would you say is the overall like best point in the movie that occurs i i would say and uh this is a bit of a of a spoiler uh, i actually do a, a spoiler warning thing in editing so spoiler warning if you do not want to be spoiled for any major parts of howl's moving castle please skip to hello it is time robot here to tell you to skip to 19 minutes and 50 seconds to avoid spoilers. Enjoy the podcast. So towards the very end of the, of the film, mm -hmm. uh, there is a scene where Calcifer, sort of the fire demon that they've made friends with slash made a deal with, uh, has to uh, control the moving castle, even though it's... Uh, falling apart it is just it's in tatters yeah and he has to maintain control of an increasingly smaller amount of uh material even though he doesn't have to at this point because i believe at this point he's free from any sort of contract he had with uh, uh no that's that's before then oh no that's before then yeah. well then never mind it's still a really good spot because it shows how much uh calcifer even though he may come up as sort of nonplussed and sort of nonchalant, uh, really does care about the other characters. And and I, I, find wanna, I do want to say Billy Crystal does an amazing job voicing Calcifer. Like, uh, I've I've seen the uh, the Japanese dub of it, and uh, honestly, I prefer Billy Crystal's adaptation of Calcifer way better than the Japanese version. How do they differ? I've never seen the Japanese version. Uh, in the Japanese version, he has a little bit more of kind of like a high-pitched voice sort of thing. Not like, not like it's like, you know, up here sort of thing, but like he has just sort of like not as deep a voice. And at the same time, uh, he doesn't talk as fast as he does with Billy Crystal, but I feel like that's just Billy Crystal. Like, he just talks yeah. fast in general. Uh, and I, I don't know. I just There's just something about the New York accent that goes with Calcifer that just fits it really well. 
Um, oh, crap. I you? forgot about the spoiler part. Uh, yeah, uh, we're coming back from spoilers. Um, um, so what would you say would be the lowest point of the movie? What would you say is the probably the worst aspect of the movie? The worst aspect of the film can also sort of be interpreted as one of its uh, charms as well. Mm -hmm. uh, is that I think sort of the nature of Studio Ghibli films is that throughout the film, you are entirely confused and dazed about what's going on. Mm -hmm. I think, like, I enjoy it. I enjoy that feeling. But I think to the average cinema goer, it may be a bit of a prohibitive feeling. Uh, uh, whenever you might be used to a different sort of narrative telling that is a bit more expository. Yeah. Uh, something that just sort of puts you there and having you, having you figure it out as you go along and having it sort of give, like having everything come together at the very end be mm -hmm. uh, something that everyone would enjoy. Yeah. But, but I enjoy it. Yeah, uh, it, it definitely makes it sort of difficult to, uh, if anyone happens to not watch it all the way through, it makes it very difficult to get any satisfaction from the movie if you just sort of watch it halfway. It, you really have to watch the whole thing to get the full experience. Oh, certainly. This is not a popcorn movie. Yeah. I, and while it does have really great scenes to just sort of run through just by themselves, it... it Really, if you don't watch it, like, all at once, it, it detracts so much from the movie. And uh, I know that there are some movies that you can kind of, like, get up and go to the bathroom during or, you know, grab a snack or something like that while you're watching it and not have to pay full attention. But with House Moving Castle, it, it doesn't even require you to put your attention for it. You will have your attention glued to the screen the whole time. It, it commands your attention. Yeah, it's, it's very demanding of your attention. And due to that, it does make it really easy to watch all the way through. Now, I realize that there may be problems with like various other things, but it, seriously, if you are planning on watching this movie, please sit through the whole hour and 59 minutes. It, it, it's worth it. Trust me. So, uh, Let's get some general banter going on here. Why, why, why would you decide to do this movie? Besides the fact that you know it's one of the latest movies we've watched. Uh, why did I decide this movie? Because I think it's sort of a, an expert sort of visualization of what how differently you can in film. You cut out, in my opinion, uh, because a lot of sort of at least Western media film. Uh, tends to sort of uh, lean towards a certain narrative device using like the, the whole hero's story, uh, very expository, mm -hmm. uh, you, giving away the game too early. Yeah. Uh, about uh, Howl's Moving Castle is that uh, the story is never clear. Uh, even at the very end, you have to decide for yourself what the movie means. Yeah. Because there, there is sort of that, that mystery element that you have to decide for yourself that's like, oh, well, uh, I have all of the information in front of me. I have to decide kind of the meaning of the, the movie. Yeah, I love that agency given to the audience, yeah. allowing them to make their own meaning from the film, as well as uh, just sort of uh, the loose structure of the story as well. Uh, yeah, because I mean, if you sit down and watch Iron Man, then whenever you watch it, you, you know at the end what the what the main point of the movie is. It's it's a tale story of the it's the hero story, but it's also sort of the uh, the turning a uh, Scrooge 
Scrooge McDuck, or not Scrooge McDuck, a Ebenezer Scrooge, Ebenezer Scrooge. Into, a, into a heart of gold sort of scenario as well. And so they, they, it, it, that's that's how moving how's moving castles sort of charm is that you get to kind of make up your own moral of the story at the end. Yeah, and uh, I think that can uh, make other viewers sort of shy away from that, mm-hmm. uh, and given that it's a bit more complex structure. But I think it's well worth the uh, sort of mental. Uh, gymnastics yeah to watch um other things about the film in general is that uh another reason why i chose it is that uh, it shows sort of that animated films uh don't necessarily have to be sort of marketed to and mainly for sort of like uh children Mm -hmm. uh, because they they don't have to be cartoony or anything they don't have to be simple. Uh, they, they can have very meaningful sort of social commentary. They can have uh, sort of adult themes throughout. They have utterly beautiful visuals. Oh, yes. That, that's probably one reason why I chose this film is that I, call me a boomer, call me a hipster, call me whatever you'd like. But I miss 2D animation. I, I miss I do as well. I, w- I wish I could see more 2D animation in, in theaters, but uh, I suppose it's just too cost prohibitive nowadays. But yeah, it's way easier to do 3D animation than it is to do 2D. I mean, because but, but honestly, you're we're sort of starting to see a bit of a renaissance of that at some points, like a little bit, not not a whole lot, but you you, you see um you you're seeing some some films coming out by uh, Pixar that's utilizing the uh the second dimension a lot more than in the uh third dimension it's still with like 3d models and stuff but it still utilizes sort of the 2d elements uh a lot more than it 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 does uh 3d and i i think that that's really interesting what they're uh, starting to do that um there there's one or two pixar shorts that i've seen fairly recently that uh sort of explore that i don't remember the names of them i know one of them is kitbull kitbull uh I believe it's 3D modeled, but it it still looks 2D. You know, uh, it may actually be 2D. I I don't remember if it was 3D modeled or not. But Kitbull is a uh, a phenomenal piece of 2D animation that was made fairly recently. Um, and so there, 2D is still sort of an art medium out there. It's just I, I do agree with you. I wish that we could see more of more of that explored. You know. And that's sort of the charm of also like uh, into the spider verse as well, because oh, it's sort yeah. of uh, two uh, sort of genres of animation together, like 3D and 2D uh, very well. But we're not talking about into the spider verse. No. Although I would like to talk about that on my podcast at some point. Um, so, uh, yeah, let's get into the, uh, the final part of the podcast here. Uh, the general rating out of 10. And I'm going to give a general explanation. I keep saying general. I'm going to give a uh, explanation of the uh, rating system for you. Um, so most of the time I try to give movies a high rating based off or a rating based off of uh, sort of in comparison to some other movies, but also really just how industry changing or how important that they are to movies in general. 
and, and most of the time that ends up on the high spectrum and uh but i i have reserved i have not given it anything a 10 quite yet on the podcast but i i've reserved 10 for something that was so phenomenal so game changing that it it changed the way movies were you know so we'll get to that point I don't know which movie will probably end up getting a 10, but it'll probably be closer to episode 9 or 10 before we actually start hitting movies that high up on the scale. Uh, and we're only on episode 4 right now. So, uh, Zach, why don't we discuss a little bit, what do you think this movie gets out of 10? I don't know. I really enjoy it, but I'd say, uh, am I allowed to use decimals? Uh, I try to keep them whole numbers, but if you want to use a decimal, that might influence a little bit towards what I end up saying. I, I'd say it's probably somewhere between like a 7.5 to an 8. Mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of agree with that. I think it would probably be closer to me an 8 than a, than a 7. Uh, j- just because it, it, it's such a phenomenal piece of art that it's hard, it's hard to not give it a really high score. But at the same time, it is another 2D movie. Like, it is another... Uh, it, it, that is an art medium. While it is a beautiful piece of art, it, it is also kind of just... Uh, it is a fantasy movie it, it, at the end of the day. And so while it may not have been in industry changing, it is also an amazing movie in comparison to some other movies, you know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and I think... Uh... It was also incredibly sort of popular uh, in the United States. I'm not sure how many of Miyazaki's films were popular in the United States before, but uh, just based purely on the uh, all-star cast that was in this film, oh yeah, it uh, it definitely had wide acclaim in the West that a lot of uh, uh, films may not necessarily get. Well, you know, I think that it's about time to wrap it up. So that's about all the time we got this evening, folks. So go grab a good night's rest and join us next episode where we'll be having yet another special guest joining us to discuss the movie Steel Magnolia. Until then, I'm Reese Barnett, and this has been Reese's Movie Night. Good night!